right, everybody, good morning. Happy Sunday, friends and church family. I'm Pete, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are starting off a new series today after our Empowered and Spiritual Gifts series in which we saw a lot of responsiveness to the work of the Holy Spirit. We thought it would be great to get back to Jesus, but we want to stay with the supernatural theme, and so here's what we're going to do for the next 10 weeks. We're going to look at miracles of Jesus, amen? And we also want to highlight God's work in the present as well, and so we're looking for stories of what God is doing in your life today. If you have a God story, this would be an awesome week to share it on your connection card. I've actually got a great God story. This is from Becca Buncher, our children and youth pastor, who is the mom of Margaret, who was just up here. Uh, If you don't know it, Becca Buncher is possibly the greatest Facebook follow you could ever have Lots of really wholesome hilarity happening in Becca's Facebook feed. I highly recommend it. And she sent me a text this week. It said, I am so sorry. I have to cancel our one-on-one tomorrow. I'm at Project Timothy, which is leadership training for young people in Evanston, Illinois. And I just got to witness a girl get healed from eczema. Also, she fell over and I caught her. Also, it was one of the most amazing things ever. Now I'm getting steak and shake. And so this is a standard text from Becca with all the flavor that a Becca text should include. I responded with, that sounds amazing. And she said, I told her she looked exuberant so she should go tell people. So she got up and ran around the room with a joyful shout of, God healed my eczema. It is one of the most wholesome things I have ever witnessed, which is more flavor of Becca. Uh, All right, so um, God continues to act today. The miracles of Jesus Christ had a purpose, and God continues to put his hand into the world for God's purpose. Our theme verse for this series comes from John 20, verses 30 and 31, and here's what those verses say. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs, in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but... These were written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So Jesus did miracles in his time so that the world would know the goodness of God and that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe miracles still happen today. Jesus is still active today. God's power still sometimes breaks into the world. And God's demonstrations of power in this world can turn the hearts of people toward God. Uh, To start it off, I get to preach about what the Apostle John calls the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And if you knew the history of Christianity in America, this is one of the more surprising of Jesus' miracles. It's the story of Jesus turning a bunch of water into wine. I grew up in a few different kinds of churches. All of them taught that Christians do not drink wine full stop, period which always seemed weird to me when you look at today's miracle. It's like, why are you turning water into wine if we're not supposed to drink wine, Jesus? At the same time, I spent years in addiction. I spent 10 years working in and leading our Celebrate Recovery program, and I have certainly seen the damage alcoholism can lead to. And so what is up with today's miracle? Let's read through this thing. I'm going to read through it once all the way through. Then we're going to dance around the Bible a little bit and go through it a little bit more slowly. John 2, 1 through 12. The next day, there was a wedding celebration at the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, and so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, just do whatever he tells you. 
Standing nearby were six stone water jugs used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each one held 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And so the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone's had a lot to drink, we bring out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And so there's a lot going on in here. You got a host running out of wine for the wedding party. You got Mary putting Jesus on the spot. There's servants filling jars of water. And the whole thing ends with the master of ceremonies declaring, This is the best wine we've had. And Jesus is glorified, and his disciples believe. Now, my understanding of God as a kid was largely colored by the schools and churches I went to. And my understanding was that God is more against things than he is for things. I saw God as mostly saying, no, we don't drink, we don't dance, we don't go with the girls who do, none of that business is of Jesus, right? The adults in the environment where I grew up were not what I would call playful, they were mostly serious and uptight, there were a lot of three-piece suits wandering around the building. And so this miracle always stood out to me at the time as being like a totally different God than the one I'm used to. And I wondered, why is God sort of angry in Old Testament-y, and Jesus seems really popular with all the kinds of people I thought God didn't want us to like, okay? The funny thing is, this miracle of Jesus is in complete accord with another of my favorite Bible passages from the book of Deuteronomy. This is an Old Testament passage that shows a God who doesn't just love a good party. It shows a God who commands his people to throw great parties as worship of God. It's my favorite passage to read at wedding receptions. I got a wedding I get to do oh, next week or two, and I am glad to read you my wedding reception scripture today. It comes in a section of Deuteronomy that is 100% instructions for the worship of God. That's what section this is in. And here's how it starts, Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 29. You must set aside a tithe of your crops. That's 10% of your year's crops. One-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you to always fear the Lord your God. Now, when the Lord your God blesses you with a good harvest, the place of worship he chooses for his name to be honored might be too far for you to carry the whole thing. And if so, you may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herds, Put the money in a pouch and go to the place the Lord your God has chosen. When you arrive, you may use the money to buy any kind of food you want. Cattle, sheep, goats, wine, or other alcoholic drink. Then feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and celebrate with your household. And do not neglect the Levites in your town, that's the temple workers, for they will receive no allotment of land among you. At the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites who receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans and the widows in your town, so they can all eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. 
Okay, so here is what God wanted from the people. First off, every year set aside 10% of everything you make. Stop with me for a second here. 10% of everything you made this year. Picture that number. Your whole household, 10% of everyone in the house. What did we make this year? Don't blow it. Don't waste it. Take it to the temple of God, the place where God met with people before Jesus came, and throw a party. Enjoy the most fantabulously rich meal with the best of everything you have to eat and to drink with all the people that you love. Your household in this era would have been your extended family and other families you were particularly close to. Altogether, 10% of everything. And doing this is what teaches you what it means to fear God, to enjoy God's goodness and presence. Not only this, but if it's too much to carry, because 10% of everything, convert it to money and then buy what you need around the temple and party there. The NRSV is a, a Bible translation that's a little bit more careful about word to word, loses a little bit of the feel. I'm going to read verses 25 and 26 from the NRSV so you get a feel for the word for word. Turn your tithe into money with the money secure in hand. Go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Spend the money on whatever you wish, oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, or whatever you desire, and you shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your household rejoicing together. When I think about how much I associated God with uptightness and unfun as a kid, I am saddened, and I hope that does not happen to anybody in this room or anybody that we have any influence over for the rest of our lives as followers of Jesus. It has never been God's character to be anti-fun, uh, to be anti-joy. God is generous and has made this world for us to both work in and to enjoy the fruits of our labor. The feast being described here is the kind of feast that you would have once a year in the ancient world. And wow, do you really go to town on this sucker? God wants us to celebrate and rejoice, not just in the world, but even in God's temple. I love the call to spend a tithe on a variety of food and drinks and quote-unquote whatever you desire. That's amazing. Little known fact, your pastor's favorite thing to do is grocery shop. Oh my God, I love grocery shopping. It was my favorite thing to do with my children up until second grade when they started saying, I want that one. But uh, I love grocery shopping, walking into the produce section and just gazing over the fruit of the entire world, any of which I could buy right now, feels super exhilarating and happy to me. Look at what God's having the people do. I believe God wants us to learn three things about God from these worship instructions. Number one, God wants you to use what you have to throw a party. Number two, God wants the party to be awesome. Number three, God wants everybody to have a party, even and especially the poor, the immigrant, the widow, the orphan, and the temple workers. And so let's go back to today's passage about Jesus, and let's go through a few verses at a time and see what it is that we learn about God and about ourselves from this miraculous sign. So it starts off, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mom was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, and so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. 
So it is helpful to know that culturally this is a big deal. My reading of commentaries says the wedding party in this part of the ancient world at this time was seven days long, people. Seven-day party for every wedding, okay? You probably only got married once, right? Seven days. And by hosting, the host is saying, I will provide for everyone who comes for those seven days. And this is a hospitality culture. I can't begin to explain to you, if you've not been to a hospitality culture country, what a big deal hospitality is in this part of the world. It is absolutely tied to your love of God, your love of people, and your ability to provide, right? And what happens is the host runs out of wine for the party. And so this is actually an issue of potential shame on the host of the party. And Jesus' mom's been invited, and she cares, and she finds out about the problem, and she knows what to do with problems. Go to Jesus. That's what she does with her problem. What does Jesus say? Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, just do whatever he tells you, okay? This is pretty classic family communication. We have mom who believes in her kid and knows he can do it. And she's like, I know who can fix this problem. Jesus can fix this problem. We have son who's like, it's not really time for me to do this, mom. I don't know. I don't want to do this. And she's like, that's nice. Servants, just go do what Jesus says right now, right? And like a good Jewish son, Jesus is like, okay, mom, I guess, right? And so Jesus doesn't want to leave her hanging. He gets to work. Verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And so the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. Now, I want to start talking about this passage with the comment in parentheses at the end that, of course, the servants knew. I got to watch John Wimber, who founded the vineyard, preach from this passage. It was by video. It wasn't in person. And John Wimber dialed this part of the story into my heart. He said, do you want to know what Jesus is up to? Be a servant. Be the person who gets to bring Jesus the water in clay jars. Jesus is doing all this despite knowing his time hasn't come yet, and so he kind of keeps it quiet. And it's not clear if anyone other than the disciples and Jesus and his mom know what's happening. But the servants, the ones who are behind the scenes doing the will of Jesus, they get to see and know this is a miracle. They know where this wine came from. It came from God. And so if you want to see Jesus do a miracle, serve other people and do what Jesus asks. Miracles will come sometimes. They will likely be few and far between, but when God puts his finger on the earth, it's amazing. And being one of the people who get to see that happen is worth something. And so let's do some math here. We have six stone water jars at 25 gallons each. That is 150 gallons of water turned into wine. I'll have more to say about this toward the end of the message, but for now, this is the era of making wine by hand and foot picking the grapes by hand, carrying them by hand or camel or donkey. An ordinary bottle of wine in this time in history is a half day's wages, around 40 bucks a bottle on average. And Jesus made 150 gallons, okay? This is a miracle of generosity and abundance. 
Jesus has created an overflowing amount of wine, way beyond the normal party. And it wasn't just any wine. Verse 10, what the master of ceremonies had to say, a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then once everyone's had a lot to drink, you bring out the less expensive wine, but you've kept the best till now. Would it not be amazing to taste the Jesus wine? Can you imagine if they had bothered to bottle one bottle of this wine, right? I'm not a wine guy. Wine's not my thing. I would love to taste Jesus' wine. That sounds amazing. Jesus didn't just make wine to save face for the host because his mom asked him to. He didn't just make an overflowing amount of wine to save face for a host because his mom asked him to. He made the best wine. And maybe in heaven there will be something like that for all of us without any of the downsides of wine in a broken world. And speaking of wine, um, our final verse talks a little bit about why uh, wine. Verse 11, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And that kind of echoes our theme verse for this series, that Jesus does miracles and people believe because of them. That's why God's in the miracle business. The power of God is meant to draw us into mutually loving and serving relationship with God and God's people, the church. John writes about seven miracles of Jesus, and he never uses the word miracle. He says these are seven signs. What he wants us to see is the most important thing, that the miracles point to who Jesus is and who God is. Our God, as revealed by Jesus Christ, is generous and abundant and overflowing with joy. And there is a long spiritual tradition and language around wine in the Bible, and it points that way for everyone in Jesus' culture who would be very familiar with this tradition and with this language. Wine is directly used in the worship of God as a symbolic or literal offering in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, 1 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and 1 Samuel as a partial sampling. Wine's used in a blessing in Genesis 27, which says, Now may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. And new wine's the best tasting wine at the time. Wine's a symbol of God's blessing in Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns would be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The good stuff. And in Jeremiah 31, 12, wine's a part of the picture of the time where God's kingdom comes down here to earth. That kingdom theology of God's kingdom come to earth that we pray for in the Lord's prayer. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jeremiah 31, 12, they will come and shout for joy on the height of Zion and they will be radiant over the bounty of the Lord, over the grain and the new wine and the oil and over the young of the flock and the herd and their life will be like a watered garden and they will never languish again. And so wine is part of the picture of what it means for heaven to come to earth. Again in Isaiah 55, 1, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. The point I'm trying to make here is that anyone, not, not that anyone needs to go out and drink wine right now, okay? In particular, if you are in recovery, do not do that. That is not a good idea, okay? 
The point is that Scripture has a treasure trove of verses, many of which I've left out, that use wine as a symbol of the abundant joy of God. At the Society of Vineyard Scholars, they had a talk called The Spirituality of Wine with a Wine Tasting, and I was like, oh, the vineyard is so cool, we get to drink wine and blame Jesus. I love this, right? And so I was expecting kind of a low theology, high enjoyment type conference talk, and I went, and it was a woman who's a Christian winemaker in Europe with her husband, and it was one of the deepest and most spiritual workshop, you know, I've ever attended at the Society of Vineyard Scholars, and some of them are real amazing. They just have this deep heart to see what's written in Scripture brought into reality in like a healthy, non-alcoholic kind of way, right? And there's a message about wine and God's provision of it that Jesus and his followers were all super familiar with when this miracle happens. And so I got to wonder as a kid, why on earth would he make wine when we're not even supposed to drink it, right? And the answer is because Jesus' miracle is announcing the abundant joy of God is here in Jesus Christ, and through Jesus Christ, it becomes available to the world. That's the sign of Jesus' miracle. And that is the God of abundant joy and generosity for you. That's the kind of life that God invites you to receive from God and to give out toward the rest of the world. I invite you to consider an eternity of abundance, the eternity that Jesus invites us to live into. And I want to challenge you during this series. I feel like the front end's going to be heavy lifting. It felt heavy to me for service. Ask Jesus for the miracles you want. Ask Jesus to miracles today. During this series, specifically, ask Jesus to do the miracles that your heart is after, whatever they may be. The worst that can happen is they won't happen. The best that could happen is that they will. So the upside's pretty huge, and the downside's already here. So why not, right? Why not just ask God and do a miracle? God's heart is for you, and God's heart is generous and hospitable and joyful. And when God does miracles, it turns people's hearts toward him. Like, I know Becca, and I know she's not insane. She's like refreshingly odd, you know? Just like miraculously, humorously, and sometimes wholesomely joyful, which is really an affront to this world. But nonetheless, when she says, I saw a miracle happen, and then the person ran around shouting about it, like, I know that's real. You know? It's amazing. Maybe that could happen for you. God cares that your life is more than just the work you do. God wants the work you do to lead to fruit for your labor that is joy and that teaches you about the goodness of God. I want to invite you to stand as you're able and the worship team to come back up here. I have three tips, something for you to read, pray, and do to put the Word of God into practice as we've received it this week. Tip number one is read John 2. It's an awesome story, and it's, it's really who Jesus and who God are. Tip number two. Pray for your own heart of generosity, hospitality, and joy. That's the heart of God revealed by Jesus Christ, and that's the heart that God invites us to grow into as we mature in Christ. Tip number three, serve someone something delicious and free this week, just like Jesus did. You can do your own miracle by taking someone out 
or cooking some food for someone and bringing it to them or inviting them into your home and giving it to them. If you're a good cook, do that. If you're not a good cook, don't do that. Uh, go buy some food for somebody. Take them out for coffee or lunch or whatever it is. There's ways to provide deliciousness to people without needing to know how to make it happen yourself. So, uh, If you're on the prayer team, could you come forward right now? Um, I got to have a dude... Uh, let's see, hang on a second. Yeah, Don Weber was here. He just went on a mission trip to the Ukraine, bringing stuff up to the front, including MP3 Bibles and power packs to like people in trenches. And as you might imagine, his mind is blown, and he has seen people with faith that really shakes him to his core and just blows his mind. And his prayer was to like have that kind of faith. What kind of miracle might you get prayer for today? Is it to have faith, you know? Is it to follow God through all things? Is it for someone else, someone that you love? Whatever it is, ask somebody to pray for you today. Miracles are amazing. I'll lead us in prayer as we transition to worship. Uh, God, we just come together before you. We thank you for your generosity and your hospitality and your joy. We thank you for the degree to which you have made us a people of generosity, hospitality, and joy for the honor of offering Celebrate Recovery and loaves and fishes, meals, and all the things that we get to do as a people. Thank you. Thank you for the degree you've made this reality for us. And we do ask for more, God. We still need all kind of miracles to break into this world. We got all kind of people who are lost to pain, infirmity, addiction, mental health, division, all the things. And our heart is to see you, your kingdom come, and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so I ask God, would you make us a miracle people? Would you make us a people who continue to press in for miracles in a broken world where it's easy to give up? Would you help us to trust in your goodness, your generosity, your hospitality, and your joy enough to ask again and again? I pray for the miracle that's on your heart, that God would bring the power and the presence of Jesus to bear, that your miracle would happen. worship together. The team will let us know when we're done. Come receive prayer as God leads. If you're visiting, I'd love to meet you on your way out today. God bless you.